In this episode, we're doing things again a little bit different, we're trying to mix it up all the time. But now we're going to talk to a pilot. So it's an interview, but with somebody who also has to perform mentally in order for them to win, just like you. Ain't afraid to bear my soul, ain't afraid to walk on coals. I ain't gonna tell no lies, I ain't gonna apologize. Can't stop me now. Hi everybody, this is Enzo with another edition of the Race Driver Coach Show and we're doing it a bit different this time. It's going to be an interview, but it's with somebody who is not really in motorsport as we know it. Not four wheels, he was on two, but not anymore. Now there's, well I think there's two wheels, but there's wings involved. His name's Elias, uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself to you and then we'll get the ball rolling and start to have a chat, mainly about personal performance, like we always do. So here he is, introduce yourself my friend. Uh, hey, nice to meet everybody. My name's Elias, uh, Elias Corey, and uh, you guys can check me out at uh, Instagram at Elias Corey. And uh, I'm an aerobatic pilot, so I fly unlimited aerobatics. So if you've seen the Red Bull planes that go between the cones or seen us flipping around in the sky, you know, we fly between, you know, zero and 260 miles an hour over 10 Gs of force, negative up to 7 Gs. So it's a fairly extreme environment. Um, and I'm super pumped to be on the show, too, because I'm a massive Formula One fan. And yeah. uh, Enzo and I have a relationship uh, going back about a year, I'd say, now, yeah, and uh, you've been a tremendous help in, in uh, not only working me through the fear of being in what I term a death possible environment, but also performing in that environment. So super pumped to be on and to have a chat with you. Oh, mate, it's brilliant. Death possible environment. Jesus, that's a big one. And, uh, and, and you add that to 7G, and we're not talking about money here. We're talking about pressure on the body and to be fair, we never get that in a race car unless something's severely gone wrong, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just a few things because I think we share a lot of um, there's crossovers between motorsport and what you do because it comes down to the human performance and the human being at their best. So 100%. Now, I know you were a bit of a racer before, so you're the perfect person because there's not many people I can say that have done your sport, that are doing it now and have been in motorsport. What would you say are the one or two crossovers just to just to blend everybody in and say, oh, yeah, I know, I can see the, 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 how they're similar. Tell me. Well, I mean, I think they're absolutely similar. I mean, I raced uh, road race motorcycles. Um, I haven't driven a Formula One car or raced anything with four wheels. But I yeah. think it comes back to, to being in the zone, to being comfortable um, yeah. and being able to be in a mental environment where you can succeed, whether it's up in the air at, you know, 10 Gs of force or, you know, finding the apex, it really comes down to finding a place in you where you're centered, where you're comfortable, and you can do and execute the training that you put yourself through. Okay, that's cool. Now, to give them an insight, what, what do you have to do? Do you, you, do you warm up before you get in? Tell us about what you actually have to do up there. I mean, I'm going to put a video up while we're yeah, doing this so sure. people can see you and it might be yeah so people can see it uh, but just tell us like because what if i was to say it in racing driver terms we would say we have a qualifying session uh yeah. we have to go as quick as we can around the track that puts us on the grid um and then obviously it's a race of yeah. 10 20 laps and we all battle out to the checkered flag it's very simple but what do you have to do you're obviously not wheel to wheel wing to wing with people it's timed but yeah just talk us through the process of a weekend 
Yeah, so let's talk about uh, aerobatics, right? So competition yeah. aerobatics, which would be something that you, you see on a world level. Um, and right now we're training for the, the Olympic level of, of world aerobatics. But it's basically flying sequence. So we have a language. It looks like hieroglyphics if you see it on paper. And you have to fly and execute this language in the sky. So there's different disciplines. Some you never get to practice. You have to just know the language and go up and fly it. That's, really, that's where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it's a judged event. So we have – three different disciplines. So as soon as you, we call it dropping into the box, we fly in an imaginary box in the sky. That's a thousand meters by a thousand meters by a thousand meters. And, um, you know, once you drop into the box, everything is judged. There's a panel of judges. So there's absolutely no mistakes possible, or obviously the person who executes it better is going to be ahead of you in the scores. Man, this is art. This is sport, but it's an art. Cause for us, for our, for drivers, we have a, a braking marker, the start of where the curb where the curb starts as I'm approaching is pretty much where I'll start to brake. And we do a trap walk and it's very simple dot to dot. We try not to use breakers, uh, markers too much like braking and turning and all this, but they're still there and they give you a peripheral cue to when to do it. How the hell do you set up for the next gate and just explain that? Cause it's a bit mind boggling. It's like freehand drawing compared to. Well, actually it's interesting because you said gate. And that's the exact term that we use. So we yeah. have positions, you know, you have that box, right? So you have a position in that box for each portion of the figure or of the sequence. So we want to be at that portion in the box at an exact altitude and an exact speed, which is like an energy state. So it's not dissimilar to having a braking marker. It's just that we're doing it in three-dimensional space rather mm -hmm. than in two-dimensional space. How long does it take to learn that? I'm still learning, so I'll let you know. I mean, it, I think it's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's an ongoing art, you know. I mean, I think it's like anything. I mean, you know, has Hamilton stopped progressing or, or every time he hits a track, is he becoming Absolutely a more complete driver? So I think it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a lifetime pursuing for that perfection. So tell us, how did you get, you got your license for, for flying? When was that? What age? And then how long yeah. did it take to get to like competition level, should we say? Yeah, it's funny. So it's the 10 year thing, right? The 10 year rule. And I don't know if I believe in it, but that happens to be my, my thing. But um, yeah. about 10 years ago is when I started to fly. Um, so a lot of people that I compete against have been flying their entire life. Um, for me, it's been 10 years now. But yeah. I actually got, I actually started training aerobatics at the same time I got my license. So I did Whoa. the two together. So at hour six, I was already working on uh, some of the safety components of aerobatic flight. So, but you know, I fly three days a week, um, yeah. usually between five and six flights a week. Uh, ground training and of course all of the physical component of the gym mental coaching that I do with you so it's a complete okay. full-time program what happens if you get it wrong mate well that's the difference right you know thank god formula one now is safe you know aside from yeah. losing a couple of drivers over the last you know what 10 years or so it's, it's yeah. been um, devoid of that which is great our sport is a little more like formula one might have been in the 70s so yeah. um, you know if if you have a mechanical failure if uh, you misjudge altitude if the air is different that day and, and that gives you an altitude difference, unfortunately it's a pass or fail environment. And so, yeah. you know, we do lose, we do lose pilots every year. Um, cool. You know, I've lost personal friends. So it's an extreme environment. And, you know, for me, every time you go up, you know, you're talking five to six flights a week, as we said before, uh, it's a death possible environment. So yeah. making sure that you're in the right headspace where you control your fear, but have enough respect for the environment you're in is the tightrope that we have to walk to make sure that we are, are safe as possible through the operations. So mentally you put a lot into that, that side of it, right? I mean, consciously, you really make sure you do. 
have you ever had a time when it's been a battle and how did you turn it around? Like you started and you were all over the place mentally and then you uh, recalibrated and went again. Have you pulled through, gone through the myth? Yeah, yeah I think that's every, that's every contest. Yeah. Uh, you know, nice. Realistically, you know, you're, all, you're always coming into it. There's always something you don't understand. Um, as much as you try to block out environment, you know, the guy before you could go out and absolutely crush it. And you're like, oh, man, you know, how did he do that? And you're not supposed to think about that, but it's real. So, you yeah. know, I think like we've talked about in the past, it's, it's setting up that private time to get in the zone, get focused and turn it from emotion to process. Yeah. And I think that's been the biggest thing for me is like, you know, one, two, three, four, and everybody's got their own thing. And you have, obviously I've learned them from you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you've taken me on that journey from moving it from an emotional environment to a process oriented environment that, yeah. you know, comes out with positive emotion. Um, yeah. But it, it's turning it into a process and giving yourself that time to get in the zone and focus uh, and put it in the right perspective overall. Yeah. Just like we spoke about many times, it's, it's been quite cold robotic in a way where you don't have feelings now everybody says you got to have emotions because you use them we understand that but there's a certain time and place for emotions and for thoughts flashbacks in the mind they will come it's how you deal with them and if you can focus the mind on what it needs to focus on it will execute it it's when you start to attach baggage to it like we said before what does this mean if, if it doesn't happen, right. is that person now, are people thinking that person's better than me? I don't like that one. He thinks he's better than me and that does my head. So as soon as you start to lose and you start to get distracted by that, it becomes a lot more difficult and the dangers and that lot. So I think you can empathize with that. And that's across the board, whether you're a salesman or you're an F1 driver, it's all the same, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think you've been good at teaching me about perspective. Um, you know, and you can go over a couple of them because, you know, they're, they're your tactics, but, you know, being able to look at the environment and think of how lucky you are to be in a Formula One oh, test or to you. be in, you know, an aerobatic aircraft carving around the sky. I mean, you know, this are, it's rarefied air and we're all super blessed to even be in that environment. So when you can step out and say, wow, this is amazing. And yeah. then come back into the performance side of it. And you've been good at recalibrating my mind to understand, uh, you know, to detach from the emotional side, get into the process, but also look at it from a positive perspective. It's perspective. Yeah, exactly that. That's one big one is changing the way you see the problem. If you're here with the problem here and you do get a coach come in or, or you just take a step back yourself and see it in the right. second, third person, it changes it all. You start 100%. to add emotions. If you really want to use emotions of gratefulness, how amazing this is. And you watch what happens straight away. The body changes physiologically it's the breathing's different and the muscles they start to relax and you have a smile on the face well there's the answer people if you want to change your state if you were say i want to be energetic all of a sudden you've got to you've got to really believe it it's got to be here the face is energy energy and the voice goes a bit different and then you just got i just i just did it right there in front of your eyes i just created a different emotion from being interested in you to just feeling energetic and it's that quick but people they do use this on a daily basis but they don't feel like they are and they mm-hmm. think i can't get out of this mood but guy if you just change your body change what you're thinking of done two elements to change an emotion or should i say the the process of the brain of what you're focusing on how you're feeling and it's and it's yeah giving two hoots about screwing up Obviously, right. screwing up is a, there's a, there's a big consequence to yours, but that could mean I didn't quite go well. So what? Fix it. Go and do it again. And it's been well, very cold and uh, just oh, oh that's that sounds a bit too easy, Enzo. It is easy. 
you've been working this for I've been working it for 43 years. I think we've got it yeah. down. We've been, you know what I mean? And everybody has. They can use that tool just to make it do what it wants. And often it is a lot simpler than people think. Yeah. yeah. And you brought up a good point too. I mean, because we all worry about failure. But when you recategorize failure, and this is again something that you've taught me, as a position that you can learn from. And you go in and start to hunt the unknown and hunt failure. And in my environment, certainly we're talking about failure within the parameters of safety. We're not talking about failure at a couple hundred feet. We're talking about failure at a safe altitude, right? But if you can hunt that failure and realize that's a learning experience and that's a, a place where you can expand who you are and your performance, then yeah. that completely reframes it as well. I think that's something that's been super useful. Reframe, man. You've got some good words there. Perspective, reframe. Someone says, how do you do it? It's so dangerous. You know what could happen? And you just turn around and go, yeah, I better focus then. Like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know What's the option, right? I mean, we look at fear and I think this is a great, you know, this environment, you know, with the, the virus and COVID right now is throwing everybody into fear, right? But if you give in to fear and, and you live in fear, it's an ever shrinking box, Right. Because you're scared of this shrink. Don't do this. Scared of this shrink. Don't do this. And we see people doing it every day. So I think fear becomes understanding a relationship or having a relationship with fear becomes absolutely, absolutely fundamental to being able to grow and reach the vision that most sporting people have. Just got to execute, mate. Just execute. If it's like driving down the road in America, you have a yellow line down the middle, right? We have white in England where, where I am. Different side, you know, different side. side. This is quite dangerous. Um, but it's, you're just passing cars all day and it just takes one person to get distracted and slightly veer towards your side or on the phone or whatever in an argument or whatever, just asleep. And that can happen and does happen all the time. But we're not like every time a car comes, we're fearful and trying to steer the other way because we'd never go out. We're just focused on where we're going or actually we're just doing it in the process. So people, they will look at what we do, you do and say it's dangerous, but actually, no, no, it's just what I do. But still, it's still there, obviously now and then uh i don't want to go on too much about fear because it is it, it is present but really at the end of the day it comes down to you executing on what you got to do it's like your shoelaces isn't it and the more you do it so what are you doing now now we're in well i presume you're in kind of lockdown how are you training now yeah actually we're pretty we're in a, a little bit different environment so i'm in arizona you know in the u.s and um you know right now we're actually e easing the lockdown so restaurants start to open this week but we haven't had a lockdown on aviation so while our air shows, you know, where we go perform for the public, which is, you know, where we have fun. Um, and then, you know, the competitions, those have all been delayed. We won't see those until Q4 of this year. But from a, an actual practice perspective, we've kept the foot on the gas, uh, so to speak, the whole time. And you have to, like, you can't just be out of the plane for, you know, three or four months and, yeah. and be safe. So we've kept, uh, thank God, we've kept the full program uh, the whole time. Do you use simulators at all? Or is it a bit hard to do that? Like you know, I don't. Um, I think it can be incredibly useful in learning how to fly in general in our environment because the forces, you don't feel them on your body. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult to understand how your hand is going to feel under 10 Gs, how the aircraft feels in the air. It's just quite different. So um, yeah. from a visual perspective, in trying out new things or practicing, like we do use uh, VR goggles to go in with Google Earth and fly in an area we haven't been to. So I have a competition in, let's say, the UK. I can go with Google Earth, find that point, and then look, okay, when I'm flying here, I'll see a tree, I'll see an old barn there, and mm -hmm. you can kind of get the visual references, but not for the actual flying mechanics. Wow. Okay, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, we've got some G in a race car, 
right. but you can get away with it. Yeah, you kind of say, okay, I understand I'm not being thrown around, but I can still use it as a proper tool. Right. Okay, so um, visualization. Do you yeah. do that? And if so, how? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, visualization is a big thing for us, especially like I referenced earlier. We have uh, some of those events where you can't fly them before. So you get your, you get your sheet no less than 12 hours before the flight, and you have to practice it only through visualization. Uh -huh. um, so we do two types. We do just sitting on the couch and just thinking through it, like I'm sure all racing drivers do exactly the same, you know, thinking about the apex, um, speeds, all of that. Um, and then we actually walk the sequence as well. So we'll put like an imaginary box, that thing that we fly in on the ground and just walk through it so we can think, okay, if the wind's coming from this direction, it's going to push us here. We want to be here and see this. So we'll actually walk it on the ground as well. Wow. So there's no testing as such. Sometimes you go to a course, if you want to call it that, and um, it can be the first time that everyone sees it. That's brilliant. That's yeah, well, I think, kind of level that. you know, for us, because with, with air, air temperature and water, not to get too technical, but with the amount of water in the air or the temperature, the wings are more or less efficient. So yeah. every time you get into the air, it's a feel thing. You can look at what you have to work with. You can look at winds and such, but the track, so to speak, is always new because obviously weather is always changing. You're multitasking then, really, because you're trying to execute on something you want to do, but then you have to adjust and that can make you forget things. Have you ever oh, yeah. forgotten halfway through a... Uh, uh, oh, of course, yeah. of course, yeah, of course, yeah, or even worse, not, not realize you've forgotten and flown the rest of the sequence and, and zeroed everything in the sequence because you just kept going. <laughs> so, yeah, of course, all that happens. That's not cool. Have you got any questions like kind of from the motorsport world that could help you? I know we've spoken a lot about them, but is there anything you wonder how drivers do X and things like this? You ever thought? You know what? I, I'm, always, I'm always fascinated, and we've talked about this before, but I'm always fascinated by the lack of testing you yeah. know, in Formula One, in how somebody steps up, you know, from a lower category to a Formula One test and can keep their head in the game. And, and what advice do you give someone who's, what, 18 or 19 years old and stepping into multi-million dollar hardware with a huge team, press and all of that, and have them keep the focus that they need to go out and execute and get that contract? That's always been amazing to me. Immense pressure. Immense. That's the hardest bit. And everyone will tell you that F2 doesn't really prepare you for F1. Is the, okay. car, the car, yeah, brakes are better. It's a bit quick around the corners, um, and it's down the straights better, probably, obviously. Um, but you get used to that after five, ten laps. That's not the problem. The problem is all the buttons on the steering wheel, all the process right. you have to run, constantly being told what to do every, every minute, really, about adjustments and things to do. Right. Um, and then it's, it's the weight of having all the 500 to 1,000 people working at the factory and probably 50 people at the track, all there monitoring every single thing of you. So really it's a mental thing. It's a pressure. Right. The skill side of it, you can get a lot of F3 drivers, um, maybe even F4, um, get them, jump straight into the F1 car, and that'd be pretty quick. So it's not the driving part of it. It's all the processes. Having the ability to think of 10 different things at once, right. so driving is pretty automatic. Now, as a junior, they just think driving, 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 brake shapes do this. But then when right. you get to F1 and anything like that, the driving guy, I'm afraid, has got to be a non-negotiable. You know how to do that. We don't have to teach you now. It's all the other stuff. And then the pressures, of you, if you get a few bad results, how everybody starts to come down on you and the media really puts weight on you. So I think that's the bit that the poor drivers are not ready for. And they, and they just lose their own identity straight away because they're just scared and they can't be themselves. 
So really it's on a personal level, mate. It's not the skill yeah. level. Well, I think, you know, on my side, it'd be interesting in future conversations and, and we'll do more of this. I think that, you know, people that are actually just going out um, to be examined for their private pilot tests or other people that are watching on my channel could learn a lot from that because it's not as much pressure as that. But, you know, it's certainly using that pressure to make a positive uh, situation out of it, right? And being able to execute in that environment. So in future podcasts, we should definitely talk about some of the actual techniques that you recommend for excelling in that environment. Cool, man. Yeah, because there's one driver I worked with and he went to F1 and in the first year he had a few crashes, quite a few. So they started to jump on him. And then he said, even if I don't smile, because I used to smile a lot. And then he stopped smiling a little bit as much and they noticed they made a story out of that it says you can't move you just can't move so it's it's kind of that sort of thing so yeah we can talk about that all day so yeah this is fascinating stuff so the big takeaways for me are no matter what the environment it's still this we've got to look after and how that works is pretty much similar or how we operate it to get the most out of it it's pretty much similar if we're a snooker player or (laughs) or we're on a snowboard it's all the same so you need good prep Obviously, you need to know visualization. I love that. That's what I need to make the drivers do more of, really, because they know they should, but they're a bit lazy on it. They start to get down the straight, and then they lose a bit of time. They're not sure if they're ahead, and they start to worry about if they're on time or not. So really, it's, it's, I like, I'm going to take a few things after this from you on the visualization side. And the execution, lack, uh, less emotion around things, and if it comes in, how to deal with it, use your body focus again and we use quite often in racing we use the word next to also make take you out of what you're stirring about at the minute watching the mirrors worrying about him or her behind next the apex right and then the, I like that. telling the brain what to do just get back in line please um and obviously the smiling technique and all this that was spoken about before so all that is relative 100 percent is there anything before, else you want to add before we go? Well, no, you know, for people that are watching on my channel who may not have looked at, at some of your teaching, let them know where they can get a hold of you at. Oh, the Race Driver Coach uh, Show or race driver, the racedrivercoach.com is the website. Um, Enzo Mucci is the name. That's usually on the handles. So it's quite a distinctive name. Um, he, it's, it's spelt like Gucci, but it's an M, Mucci. Um, you'll find me there. And then, yeah, you can see what I do. It's all pretty much based on this. And I teach drivers a lot on the sponsorship side. So the entrepreneurial side as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks, Enzo. It's been great talking with you Thank as always. You, man. My I hope to catch up again soon. Thank you. See you soon. Can't stop me.